Hello, and welcome to the Whatcom Dads podcast. Each week, we reflect on our parenting by offering observations and advice. And our show's not just for dads. Anyone who's around kids might learn something. I'm Nathan Dwyer. I'm Chris Roselli. And I'm Mark Bagley. This week, we interview our dads about parenting. We finish up our discussion about technology and screen time that we began last week. And we recommend weekend getaway spots to travel with your kids that are within driving distance. We have to bring the kids. Episode 16, here we are coming off the uh, Super Bowl. Quick pop quiz. Who is the most famous football player to have worn the number 16? Joe Montana. Joe Montana. Joe Montana it is. Woo! I guess he's now clearly the second best Super Bowl quarterback of the modern era. My head was with Mr. Mahomes, but my heart was with Mr. Brady, and my heart did win out over my head. And I actually, I was very happy that he won. I just think, you know, it's just amazing to me to see this guy. I I did the math, and there have been 55 Super Bowls. He has played in 10 of them, which is almost 18% of all the Super Bowls ever played Tom Brady has been in them. And that, and that's why people don't like the guy because he's just always there. But you have to really admire what he's been able to do over the course of a career. He's 43 years old. Well, that's one thing that, I mean, that's almost as old as I am. That's, I mean, that's, I, there's no way I am in shape to play one like quarter of NFL football, let alone going out there and be a Hall of Famer. Yeah. I can't throw football worth a darn anyway. <laughs> <laughs> In NFL football, those are huge. Tiny hands. Uh, did you guys have a chance to listen back to last week's show with Bernice and our uh, book review, so to speak? And if so, anything to uh, circle back to? I loved listening to Bernice on the podcast. And you can tell that she reads to kids. Because you can hear her voice in the podcast as well. And we got an opportunity, of course, see her as we were as we were recording her. But she's a real joy. She's a treat of a human being. And so I really enjoyed having the opportunity to interview her. Picking up on the bourbon aspect of the book we read, uh, Mark's son, a podcaster in his own right, took a guest spot on another sports podcast this week. And we'll link to it in our show notes. But... There was a little discussion in that podcast about Scotch whiskey and Mark, your son's first uh, foray into that. Why don't you fill the listeners in on how that went and how you may have already failed as a dad for not properly teaching him how to drink whiskey? Well, the uh, the podcast is called Scotch and Sports, and it's three Canadians who live in different parts of Canada and they poured themselves scotch and they talk sports and they somehow learned of Ben's podcast and had him on the show. So he went out and bought a bottle of uh, scotch. He bought a bottle of Glenlivet 12 year, which is a pretty good scotch. And he's never had scotch in his entire life. He's a, he's a (laughs) Rainier Coors Light kind of guy. And he took his first drink of scotch on their show and he sipped it and he went, ooh, it's buttery. Oh, man. And then it's like lava oh, going down. 
And these guys who are probably in their 20s, mid-20s, late 20s, Ben turned 21, they were cracking up because Ben, his throat was on fire after his first drink of scotch. And it, it was pretty humorous. So I did fail him. I did a great job on the podcast. He uh, he was pretty entertaining, I thought. So if you have a, a chance, listen to the Scotch and Sports podcast featuring Ben Bagley in their Super Bowl preview. Yeah, he As did. Re- he did really good with the content. And in his defense, he only recently turned twenty-one, so he gave it to his best effort. But it certainly sounded like he uh, had a little bit to learn about it. But he was open to that idea. He certainly knew that he was a novice in the whiskey and scotch world. So maybe something for you and him to bond up with in the future. For sure. Now for a word from our sponsors. Robinson and Cole Attorneys is proud to be a sponsor of the Whatcom Dads podcast. Located in downtown Bellingham, Robinson and Cole has been representing the injured and disabled of Whatcom County since 1979. If you or someone you know has been injured in an auto accident or suffered an on-the-job injury, call Robinson and Cole to schedule a free, no-obligation video consult with one of their five attorneys. Their attorneys have over 100 years of experience litigating cases against insurance companies and the Department of Labor and Industries. Call 360-671-8112 to schedule an appointment. This week, we decided to have three guests on the podcasts, and we know all three of them quite well. We decided to interview our dads. We put together four questions, and then each one of us individually interviewed our dad. We're going to start with my dad. Uh, My dad's name is Tom. He is 75 years old, and he lives in Camas, Washington. Today, I am joined by my dad, Tom Dwyer. Hey, dad, how are you? Good, good. How are you? I am doing well, thanks. Thank you for agreeing to do this. What did you think was the most difficult thing about being a dad, reflecting on your time as a dad? I know it's been some time now, but any thoughts on what was most difficult? Yeah. um, I mean, what actually what comes to mind? I mean, we had our two children fairly close together. You guys are a year and a half or so apart is all. And one of the harder things I think was figuring out how to juggle work life with family life once you have children, because basically your entire time at home outside of work is kind of taken up with your kids, you know, and, and maybe should be, but, and, and most people, I think that's the case. And so it, it was a, it was a struggle partly because I, my jobs took me away from home when I worked for the government for all those years, I traveled frequently and, and of course, part of that, in our case, we were we were lucky and the family was lucky in that, you know, your mom didn't work during that period of time either. And so she really could take on the a lot of the burden of handling the kids, basically, when I had to go away for a week. And it was never fun, I'll admit, you know, and it was like, oh, God, you got to go next week also, you know, sometimes was the comment. And so, um, but, you know, she did that very well. And and that helps a lot, you know, too, because she was always she was always at home, basically, even though I couldn't be sometimes. So along those same lines, if you could go back and change anything about how you parented or what you were doing as a parent, is there anything you think you would change? 
parenting is like this work in progress. And um, I think by the time you get done, you think you get done parenting when you say your kids leave high school. Well, you're still not done parenting in a way. In some ways, you it, it never stops. And that's great. But um, and so you I think you're just always adjusting. So you're you know, you're adjusting yourself as you go along. So it's not like you stayed in a certain mode. And then at the end of five years, you realize, oh, darn it, I did all that wrong. You basically had to like continually adjust. And as your kids got older and were more mobile and had more friends and were in more activities. And, you know, so you just, it was just a work in progress all along. I don't know that I would change a lot. I think I could have changed, uh, in hindsight, I could have perhaps changed some of the work-related stuff I, I did, you know, cause it may have been, it may or may not have been harder on the family with the kind of position I had. And I had some flexibility in some of that, but, but again, you have a profession and you have a career and you want to follow that and you're interested in that, but you have this other huge part of your life. That's not that. And so you're, you're just balancing that the whole time, basically. One of the harder things as I, that I can recall is sometimes your kids really want certain things at certain ages and you may or may not be able to provide that you might want to be able to provide it but it could be a financial thing or it could be some other things that you you basically have this kind of little bit of a guilt trip because you knew it was important to your kid but you couldn't really do it for them but there was kind of a good reason you couldn't do it but did your teenager realize that maybe not maybe maybe not you know or or your six-year-old or something like that and uh, and so, uh, yeah, it, uh, there are, there were some of those instances, but you know, you, you work through it and you try to provide something else later on, perhaps it makes up for that. So. And I can say now going through it myself, I have a lot more understanding and respect for those decisions, which were made over time, but, uh, it just took another 30 years to get there. Yeah, exactly. To click in basically. So what do you think has changed the most about parenting since I was young? The internet, I guess. I mean, on social media and stuff. And so I think, you know, if I think back when when you were young, I mean, what that meant, I think, was that kids filled up their time differently than they perhaps do now. And and one of the the biggest issues I think for parents is like, is like, how do you manage the screen time thing? Because everything is based on the internet. So you have to be involved with it. You know, you can't just not buy a computer or not at some point get your kid an iPhone, but, but there's this balance there. And I'm not sure I know what it is because everything runs off that now, like everything. And my sense is that when you were a kid, kids played outside more maybe than they do now. Now they're inside on a screen sometimes. And, and now one of the other things that's happened perhaps is a lot of times both, you know, both mom and dad have to work you know, and so then that creates that extra stress on, well, what do you, how, how do you manage, how do, how do two, both parents manage their personal time and their work time and their kids' time? So, so it's like, how do you get your kids, the hardest thing I think is going to be, how do you get your kids to the right age so they can manage that themselves before you kind of step away? So do you have a favorite parenting memory that might involve me that we could share with the listeners? Yeah, you know, I thought about that a little bit. And, and one thing that often came to mind is, is one of the things that parents have to do is find things that their kids like to do and that 
you like to do with him so you can spend time doing things with him. And it's, it's often not necessarily your interests. But one thing that we did do together that I thought kind of substituted for that was scouting. You probably remember how old you were, but I don't. It's like you were first starting to get merit badges and you were at, we were at one of those first summer camps and it was the canoeing merit badge. And, you know, and you weren't, you weren't a big kid at the time. You were only a couple of stages into scouts and there were these big 12 foot aluminum canoes and the merit badge was like, you had to paddle it out in the middle of this little lake and, and tip it over and then climb back in. And, and it was not, it's not easy to do, not easy to do for an adult. So, and I, I watched you doing it from the shore and it was like, it was like, wow, but you did it. You know, you stuck to it and did it. A lot of kids quit and didn't didn't finish, but you didn't. So at that point, it was like I went, yeah, you know. So I, in some ways, I guess I knew at that point you're probably going to be okay <laughs> if you if you're a you know if you can if you have that much motivation to get to accomplish something like that. Well, it it says a lot. Then. So that's one of my favorite memories, I guess. And it's one of mine too. And I I remember it was raining. I remember it was cold. Oh, it was like, and I remember there might have been six of us that were signed up to do it, and I was the only one that did it. But I think you walked a fine line there of encouraging me to do it versus telling me I had to do it. And I think that that was very helpful in our relationship moving forward because I was able to see that you encouraged me for a reason, and I was still was able to do it. I think if you had told me I had to do it it wouldn't have meant as much to me because I would have felt like I was doing it for the wrong reasons. But yeah, um, those are a lot of my uh, favorite memories too. Well, uh, I just want to take this opportunity. I don't say it enough to thank you for all you did for me as a dad. Um, Again, I have a lot different perspective now doing it myself, but the sacrifices, both time and financial, uh, certainly were well worth it. So really appreciate that, dad. Love you a lot. Okay. Love you too. This has been fun. So now we'll hear a little bit from my dad, Bud Bagley. Uh, Bud just turned 90 in January. He lives in, yeah, he lives in Glendale, California, and he's a retired school teacher. And it was quite fun to uh, chat with him a little bit about his recollections of being a dad when I was young. I am very proud to have as my special guest, my dad, Bud Bagley. Um, Dad, thanks for being with us tonight. Yeah, my pleasure. So we have a a couple questions. And uh, as you know, this is a podcast about being a dad. And since you've been a dad a whole lot longer than I've been a dad, um, I'm thinking that you got all kinds of great insights and you can enlighten us all and give great advice to all the dads listening out there. How's that sound? Yeah, right. (laughs) I'll, I'll I'll do my best. All right, that's fair enough. So, looking back in raising me and Tracy, what did you find the most difficult about being a dad? Knowing what to do with you guys. Did- I, I'm, I'm not a I'm not a talkative guy, and I'm not a I'm not a very serious guy. Uh, so I don't know. I just I just didn't know what to, how to handled you guys handled you i just played it by ear well i think you did a pretty darn good job well i tried 
you, you did you did good, Dad. You did really good. So thanks, Mark. <laughs> so um, you know, seeing how Annette and I have raised Ben and Allie, and seeing how Tracy and John have raised Alex and Maddie, what do you think has changed the most about parenting since I was young? What have you seen? Your your technology. Technology, you think that's been the biggest change? Oh my God! Yes, yeah. Uh, they can what they can do today, as opposed to. Well, of course, we just had what we had when when you were young. We we just uh, did what we had to do with what we had. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, we didn't. You had to actually study out of a book, <laughs> right? Uh, I don't know. I think technology is just. I don't know. I don't know if it's easier today because of technology or it's diff- more difficult. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not much of a technology guy. I, I'm not. I'm not tech savvy. So I'm glad we didn't have it when you guys were young, or you would have picked it up anyway. Well, I don't know about that, but I got to say, Dad, uh, you know, you just turned ninety last month, and you are now on a Zoom call, and you uh, dialed in by yourself. So I would say that amongst your peers. <laughs> Amongst your peers, you probably are pretty uh, technology savvy, I would guess. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so if you could change something about how you parented, what would it be? I don't know. Maybe I maybe try to be a little more serious. Uh, well, I, I don't know. I just never thought about I don't think I taught you guys a lot of things, hmm. you know, uh, about life, about things out that you had to do to, for yourself. I don't recall ever talk, sitting down and talking to you guys about things. Well, you know, I think the, the Tracy and I probably just learned a lot by watching you and mom and you and mom, you know, lived a good life and had great friends and we had a good house and a good family life. And you know, we t- took vacations. And I think that, well, we did our best, but mom, mom was better at it than I was because I'm an only, I was an only child, so I didn't know how to relax, react to other kids. The kids like, you know, and mom had all those siblings, so she knew how to, how to react. I think the most important thing that when I look back, it's that you two, you really um, led by example. And I think... Well, yeah, I suppose... And that's one thing that I've tried to do as a as a parent and as a dad is to really emulate a lot of what you did and just be there for our kids like you were always there for Tracy and me. Yeah, yeah. And what was nice was I was home by four o'clock. Right. And we never we never had we, you were never not there for dinner. No, no, that's right. Yeah. That's right. So, yeah. Yeah, it was a very family we were very family oriented, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So I know it'll be very difficult to just come up with one, but what is your favorite parenting memory that involves me? There's a lot of them. (laughs) (laughs) But one that comes to mind is you on that big wheel coming down that driveway. (laughs) Yes, you know it's so funny, Dad. We talk a lot about on this uh, on this podcast. So Nathan has two. Hey, he has, he has three kids from ages two to seven, and of course Ben and Allie are twenty one and twenty four. And just in that that gap of time, how much more we let our kids 
do without really thinking about the implications than what Nathan lets his kids do because he's so much more aware. But I look back to when I was a kid in the late 60s and the things that you let me do that we would never, sure. ever let kids today do. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, I think you rode a bicycle without a helmet. Well, first <laughs> of all, we couldn't afford a helmet. Right. <laughs> I wasn't making much money in those days. No, I know. We, we, I remember we, we would, uh, mom was always proud of her coupon cutting and, uh, and how frugal we could be, which was always good. Oh boy. Well, it paid off. I'll tell you that. It did. Everything worked out just fine. Just fine. Yeah, it sure has. Well, dad. Yeah, thanks. we're proud of our kids and our grandkids. We, uh, we love them all. Well, we're proud of you too, dad. And I just want to, you know, thanks for being such a great dad and for being a role model still to this day for, um, me and Annette and our kids. And I know for Tracy and her family, um, we love you and we are, uh, yeah, we love you. Thank, thanks for being a good son. Well, thanks. And we're so grateful for all you continue to do for us. So thank you very, very much. Yeah. Is that it? That's it. We're done. And here's me getting an opportunity to interview my dad, Byron Roselli, who is 74 years old, lives down in Vancouver, Washington, uh, is half retired from being a salesman his whole life. He'll be able to provide a little bit of insight about being a parent back in the 70s and 80s and 90s, raising us four boys. Dad, thank you so much for being here. It's uh, really an honor for me to be able to interview you. It's my pleasure and my honor. Looking at your parenting uh, back in the day, what do you think was the most difficult thing being a dad was during your time as a father? Uh, none of you came with a manual. And uh, so we kind of, I guess you might say we winged it. We used our our own upbringing and our own parents of examples of what we felt we should do or should not do and how we could possibly improve on um, um, the parenting that we learned from our parents. When I was growing up in the 40s and 50s, it uh, was certainly a lot different than than parenting was in the 70s and 80s, and certainly even a lot different than what it is today. There's a lot smarter people around that have, have uh, made determinations on, on uh, what is a successful or effective plan as opposed to winging it. If you could go back and change anything about how you parented, is there anything that you look back and say, ah, if I could do it all over again, I would do this differently? That's a very difficult question since I have four very successful sons and <laughs> successful marriages with children and our great fathers and husbands. I think we can always look back on moments or times um, but I don't have any idea today whether or not if I had changed anything, whether or not it would have been more successful than what I did do. Um, I think um, a sense of community 
morality. Uh, obviously, the church and uh, our strong faith, and uh, particularly communication with our kids, our wives, our family, everybody communicating and being on the same page was incredibly important. So what do you think has changed most about parenting since I was young? I think that there's a lot more focus right now on um, on communication and diversion as opposed to uh, edicts of don't do that or stop that or that type of thing. There's a lot more, um, like parents today spend a lot more time um, explaining their children why what they're doing is either offensive or wrong or whatever the case may be. And so the kids have a good sense of um, why they're, they're being told not to do something. So I think communications today are a lot better with kids, um, even though Lord, Lord knows we tried. Uh, to a degree, um, our lives and the raising of each of you kids always had, quote, corporal punishment in it where you'd get a swat on the butt or the wait till your dad gets home routine. Which was always more uh, frightening than a swat on the butt, I'll tell you that. On the other hand, one of my, uh, one of my other... Um, memorable moments was my number two son was playing with matches. <laughs> and, um, and we had had discussions about matches previously, but a light bulb went off because there was a pretty devastating fire that was in the neighborhood. And so rather than any type of corporal punishment, I loaded him into the car. I loaded him into the car and took him up to the local fire station and had firemen talk to him about um, house fires. And then I drove him by the house that was almost totally destroyed by fire. And I think that made an impact. And it made an impact on me as well as being a alternative to corporal punishment as opposed to um, meaningful dialogue on uh, what could happen. So. Well, it's, and it's, it, our, our listeners are going to start thinking I have a serious uh, pyromaniac problem because uh, uh, we've discussed on the podcast about how I got in trouble for throwing paper airplanes on fire out of a balcony uh, hotel wind or off of a hotel balcony. And, uh, and actually I have told this story about how you drove me around and looked at houses that had burned down after going to the fire station. So well, I think if you review the tape, you'll find that I did not disclose your name. I said my number two son, but I was trying to save you again. Well, I will, I will take full ownership that that is me as the number two son. That is for sure. So, well, speaking of me as your number two son, is there a favorite parenting memory that uh, you could share with our listeners that might involve me uh, that, that may not involve matches? <laughs> <laughs> I have so many. 
And I think probably the first thing that I would tell anybody that doesn't have a more than one child is that every child is different. Their progress is different. Their personalities are different. Um, their train of thought is different. And uh, it, it's absolutely a joy to uh, experience those different personalities and uh, different traits as you grow up. You were, um, you were uh, always entertaining. I can't tell you how many times um, I'd go to your room and you were um, either being a sports broadcaster or a disc jockey or um, you were emceeing programs. And that was a lot of fun. You were involved with the Rainbow Singers uh, at a very young age. And uh, you were um, uh, essentially the lead male singer uh, and probably had um, uh, more individual songs than anybody else. And I was incredibly proud. Um, you were a great athlete and in sports that you weren't dominating in, your effort was was always fantastic and you always tried your hardest and did your best. So uh, my memorable times are all times of just being extremely proud. Well, I recall vividly you being my very first T-ball coach and helping out with basketball and football and being my Pop Warner football coach. And uh, so obviously uh, me being able to participate in sports was certainly a wonderful opportunity to be able to spend more time with you too. So thank you for that. So yeah. it's my honor. Well, I can't thank you enough for your time, dad, for coming into the podcast. Uh, of course, I'm extremely proud to be your son. Um, Thank you for being an inspiration for me and how I parent. Um, I love you very much. So thanks again. I love you too, son. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. All right, guys. So we've played the three interviews from our dads. What'd you think of that experience? Did you have fun doing it? And do you think your dads had fun doing it? Well, I thought my dad was going to hate it. And he I think he actually had a good time. But I do want to explain one of the last things he said uh, he his one of his favorite memories of me as a little kid was riding down the sidewalk and turning into the driveway on my big wheel and I don't know if kids today even have big wheels or if people even know what big wheels are <laughs> they're like a tricycle made of plastic with a big tire in the front and two little ones in the back and I probably went through three or four of those things because we had a kind of a gravelly driveway and I would spin out and hit the brakes and I would just wear through those plastic tires. So I just want to make sure everyone understands what a big wheel is. Well, I want to make some, I want to clarify something from my interview with my dad. Uh, first of all, I don't play with fire anymore as an adult. I just want to be clear on all of that. that but Chris, where where are you doing this podcast from tonight? Yeah, let me ask you a question. Turn your <laughs> turn your camera around. What would we see? Uh, yeah, you. I am sitting on my deck, uh, sitting next to my fire pit right now. It is. It's uh -huh. soothing. It's soothing. Your Honor, the prosecution rests. <laughs> <laughs> 
I had a great time talking to my dad. You know, I don't talk to him much about parenting. Um, I've told him about doing the podcast and he's listened to a couple episodes, but it was just a great opportunity to ask him some of the questions I don't think that I've asked him before. Did interviewing your dad make you more conscious of what sacrifices they made for you as a kid? It certainly did for me. Certainly. Um, because having, I have two kids, I have two daughters. They raised four boys. Um, our house was busy. And, um, and so it not only made me reflect a little bit on that, but also I think as parents were constantly not necessarily second guessing, but we're certainly reflecting on the job that we've done. And I think as I've had more conversations with my dad as he's aged and he sees us now raising our own kids, I think he's reflecting even more on how he did things. And I think we all would admit that our moms played a huge part in our upbringing and we didn't interview moms. We just did dads this week, but certainly a shout out to, to all the moms out there as well. We'll tackle that at a future date. Whatcom Talk publishes positive community features online about the people, businesses, and organizations doing good things all around Whatcom County, and readers will never hit a paywall or barrage of ads while visiting the site to read stories or check out its event calendar. Whatcom Talk is a free community resource. Local business owners can partner with Whatcom Talk to sponsor stories on behalf of our schools, organizations, and nonprofits, while also getting a brand in front of the community. So spend a few minutes at www.watcomtalk.com and you're sure to find compelling stories that remind you why we all love to live, work, and play in Whatcom County. Parenting topic time. All right, we're into part two of our discussion on technology and screen time. Again, I will put links in the show notes to some articles, some podcasts that I think would be helpful. Also, today we're going to talk about technology agreements. There's a link there to a, an article which has some examples which you could tailor to the needs of your family. And then uh, listener to the podcast, Jeff, provided me a couple book recommendations as he's done some uh, parent education classes around this topic. And so those are in the notes as well. So let's just kick it off with technology agreements. Yeah, we never uh, did agreements of any kind. We we were a little, I don't know, we're behind or ahead. I guess we're ahead of the curve of the whole technology thing. Would I have done it differently? Boy, that's a tough question. I talked to Allie today about it, and she said, you know, Dad, it turned out fine. and Everything, it, it all worked out. Isn't there isn't there a logical fallacy in that though to say it turned out fine? Like there well, are things that yeah. can go on. Maybe you just got lucky. I don't think you did. I think you did a lot of other things in your life. But to sort of say, well, they turned out fine, so there's no reason to do anything different. I don't know that that's what you're saying. I don't know what I'm. I, I'm not sure I'm saying that either. But what I'm saying is that we did get extremely lucky. But we also, even though our rules were fairly loose around technology, we were pretty stringent with what our expectations were of our kids. And Allie told me this afternoon, she said, dad, the last thing I wanted to do was disappoint you or mom. And if I didn't do well in school, or if I didn't do this, this, or that, 
that terrified me more than anything else because I wanted to not disappoint you. And I think Ben felt the same way too. So yeah, we got lucky. Yeah, we did some things, some things right. Yeah, our kids kind of figured it out. But I think one, one thing that you have said though, Mark, is you, you really did have an agreement with your kids. It just wasn't in writing. It wasn't something that you pulled off the internet. You made your expectations clear with what, with what was okay and what wasn't okay with your kids. And you, you, you followed those rules and they didn't want to go against those rules for fear of disappointing you. And I think, you know, that's what we do in our family. I think that's what a lot of parents try to do. And so I don't, for me, I'm not sure if putting together an agreement or a contract is necessary if you're already sort of doing something like that by communicating regularly and making the expectations really clear with your kids as to what's okay and what's not. There are some resources. And if you're struggling or you're looking for a way to get out of ahead of it, I'd encourage you to at least look through these and see if you can steal from some of these agreements that are out there and tailor them to, um, to what will work for your family. And again, if you put something in front of them that you've created, I think it's less likely to work than if you create it with them. And, and also, sorry, Chris, but no, I go just, ahead, want to say, just want to say quickly that you can write an agreement with your child, and I'm not opposed to that at all, but you still need to pay attention as to what they're doing to hold them accountable and make sure that they are meeting that agreement. You just can't sign it and walk away and assume everything's going to be okay. You still need to be very active and involved in that whole process. Yeah. Our kids had the cheapest Kindle Fire, which Amazon makes a great Kindle. And there's something called Kindle Free Time, which we allow, which we used all the time. And Kindle Free Time allows you to set limits on how much time they're allowed per day to have on games, how much time on videos, and how much time to read. And so we set unlimited time to read and like 30 minutes on videos and 30 minutes on games. And if it times out, it turns off and it says, oh, the only options that are left are to read. There's certainly, I think, devices, and I'm sure, Nathan, you probably have done research on some good apps and other sorts of third-party um apps and, and websites that might help monitor those kinds of things. But we are a huge fan of the Kindle free time for sure. Yeah, there's a whole slew of uh, filtering apps that can limit what websites your kids can visit and can monitor. And, and similar to what the school system does, I think they take screenshots at random parts of the day of the screen and you can review that. So if you are looking for tools, um, that may be one way to help curb what it is that they're doing on the internet. So what's the key to then setting them up to succeed the moment they move out of the house? Because the moment they're away, then it's up to them to decide what's healthy, what's good for them, what makes sense. How do you instill that while you're limiting them maybe when they live in the house and then sending them off to figure it out on their own? And my answer, I think, Mark, is something that you say all the time, which is really, it's about setting a really good foundation in who these kids are. And so if, you've, if you're building a good, strong foundation in who the kids are, whether it's setting them free after they're done with high school, it's not just what screens and what's online and everything else, but it's all the people that are out there, and, you know, that they can engage with and all of the other things that are going to happen that they'll have access to when they're out of the house and out of your site anyway. So I think it kind of comes down to what you've said too, about sort of what are the, what are the, what's the foundation that you're establishing for the child for your kids? 
Yeah, I think back to when we interviewed Anne-Marie Reed and she talked about different parenting styles and she talked about more authoritative parenting, which is set the rules. This is what you're going to do, whether you like it or not. And if you don't like it, then there'll be some punishment or consequence. And then on the other spectrum, the more permissive parents that are sort of hands off, figure it out as you as you go. And then she advocated that somewhere in between is the best place to be because you are setting limits, but you're empowering them to make their own decisions. And so, Chris, I think over the next few years, my hope is that you see your daughter's sort of self-limit and self-imposed limits and figure out through their independent judgment what is a good choice, what is a bad choice around technology. And then if they're doing that on their own, then I think you're going to feel really good about it when they step out into the world without parental control. I mean, I think the three of us would certainly say on this podcast that all of us have different ways of approaching things and none of us would say that ours is the best way because I don't think there really is one. Oh, it's all aspirational. Again, we are all making mistakes on a weekly, daily (laughs) basis. Um, And so we all recognize that. Let's take a hard left turn and talk about the deep, dark, unsafe places on the internet. And how do you broach that topic with your kids, whether it's social media or access to pornography or child predators that are out there? Uh, Chris, have you had talks with the girls about, you know, letting people know their passwords or what they can and can't post on social media when they're able to use it? Yeah, we have actually, uh, oh, I don't know, is it a year ago? Maybe we we found out that they had created TikTok accounts. We found out about it, and so we did have a conversation with them. and And the girls had had um, they hadn't had conversations, but people had messaged them saying, "Hey, how are you doing?" And they had no idea who these people were. And so for us to have the conversation, saying and and kind of to go back what you were talking about last week, Mark, about some forty eight year old in his basement, um, you know, we we kind of went that way. We were like, it could be a sixty five year old man, not a twelve year old girl. And so we ended up being very honest and very blunt with them. I remember as a kid, it was like you didn't want to do anything bad that ended up in the paper. Well, now now it's just don't post anything bad that can be saved. Yeah, right. And that's a great reminder for all parents to really let your kids understand that the digital lives forever, forever, and forever is a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the resources talked about the difference between spying on your kids' uh, internet and technology use versus monitoring it. The Sort of the difference was if the child knows that at any point they have to hand over their device and their passwords for you to be able to look that not only serves as a deterrent, but if they know that you're not looking at every single text they type or every single website they visit, but that you're able to just step in when you think there's a problem or just do a random check, that might be a good balance to strike. One person advocated that they actually took a physical piggy bank and the child had all of their passwords on paper in the piggy bank And the parents basically told them, if I ever think you're doing what you're not going to do, I'm going to break the piggy bank and then we're going to look at all this stuff. So, again, sort of a visual picture there of maybe an appropriate balance of monitoring, not spying. Yeah, we did. We did not do a lot of snooping on our kids phones. I think they only had phones. I don't think they ever had iPads. But I always told them that and this goes back to episode what two or three. I'm paying for your phone. So when I want to see it. I'm going to look and I'm going to track you and I'm going to know where you are 
at all times because I'm the dad, she's the mom, we're paying for it, and that's our right. And the kids never argued. That was always that's how we did things. But we did not, like we know other parents who did, take their kids' phones every single night and review all of their texts and emails from that day. To me, that's a kind of an uncomfortable invasion. We tended to trust one of the things is, is we also use this as an opportunity to be an advocate for them and teach them. And so a great example is Alexia has Instagram and she wanted to uh, share a post that was this uh, very powerful post, but it had, uh, it, it had some mild four letter words in it. And so it allowed us to have a conversation with her and say, okay, well, here's the thing. Know that when you post this, this is also a representation of you. Well, and her response was, well, yeah, but I'm not saying it. It's somebody else who's saying it. Right. But you're posting it. You're adopting it. That's exactly it. And so it has allowed for us to have opportunities to also advocate for for her, especially who has social media, Lexi, and also teach her a little bit more about how it works also. This is a loaded question too, but uh, let's not try and figure out the best age to get a cell, kid a cell phone, but what are some of the things that you should be thinking about when you're trying to decide when's an appropriate time? Well, I think a question to ask is why does the kid need a phone? That's a great that's point. The, that's the first question I would ask. And is it because they are coming home to an empty house and you want them to call you when they get home to make sure that they're safe? Is it because they play after school sports and need to call for a ride home when when practice or something is over? Or is it purely for, you know, texting and Facebooking or instant messaging or whatever the kids do today? I think asking that question and determining what a adequate answer is for you is the place to start. I think also you need to make sure they're responsible enough. These phones are not cheap. So if they are the type of child who's losing things, who's breaking things, Uh, who's being irresponsible with things like passwords. Uh, You need to be able to gauge their maturity level. Um, And it may be an opportunity to teach some financial education if it's something they want to save up for. Something else I read said, if you as the parent aren't comfortable discussing pornography with your child, aren't comfortable discussing bullying on social media with your child, not comfortable discussing child predators with your child, then they're probably not old enough to get a cell phone. So those are things you're going to have to touch on with them before you cut them loose on on having their own device. All right, finally, let's talk about how can we model good cell phone and technology use for our kids. I've been just as guilty as my the next person when my kids say, hey, dad, what's that on your phone? And can you read me this book instead of be on your phone? And it makes you feel terrible when you get caught. Sort of what's been your experience tr- <laughs> totally. trying to practice what you preach, so to speak. I got a BlackBerry when they first came out, and I was so enthralled by this technology on my hip. And Allie was showing a lamb up in Linden at the fair, and we were watching her show the lamb. And I was on my BlackBerry, and someone snapped a picture of her in the pen with her lamb. And in the background, you can see me with the BlackBerry in my hand, staring at the screen and not looking at her showing her lamb. And I still feel so bad about that. And it could have been for five seconds. I maybe looked at every other single moment that she was in the ring, but I didn't. And it got caught on film. And that was really an eye opener for me. Yeah, is it? Yeah, there's no doubt that. 
go ahead, Nathan. No, you go. I was just going to say, there's no doubt that being on a screen prohibits you from being present in the moment, period. doesn't matter what it is. And um, we have rules in our house, like no, no phones at dinner, period. I mean, truly one of my biggest pet peeves is going out to dinner and seeing a family of six sitting around a table and all six of them are looking at their phones instead of actually having a really great family conversation. And so that was something that Amy and I made a very clear rule on day one for ourselves as parents, as well as for the kids, as they've gotten devices that at dinner time we don't pull out screens. And the only time we ever do is, is if we're having a conversation on something where, you know, we want to know how many Super Bowls uh, Tom Brady's won or something, then, then we'll ask, can is everybody okay if I grab a phone really fast so we can look and find out? Then it becomes a family decision to look at it really quickly. But then after that, it goes not into a drawer like you had mentioned earlier, Nathan, in uh, last episode, but it goes onto a counter where all of our devices go, where they charge, and they're out of out of sight. And I often want to return that text right away or return that email right away. And I just need to pause a little bit and know that if I wait 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes to a more opportune time, hopefully my friends will be okay with that. Hopefully my, <laughs> you know, other people who are reaching out to me. But yeah, this the instinct to do it instantly um, is is a tough one to, to resist. But I think you're right, Chris. Mealtime, I think, is a good time to put them away. I think when I get home from work, it's helpful to put it away for a few minutes to reconnect with the kids. Uh, if you drop your kid off or pick them up from school, maybe keep it away then. And certainly during special family outings and vacations, if you can try and limit the, the technology use, you're going to have a more uh, present time with your family. And please, please, please don't model texting while driving to your children. Um, certainly a safety thing. And again, they see what you do and they're going to do it themselves. Welcome dads recommend. All right. This week on Whatcom dads recommend, we're going to talk about weekend getaways, places you can drive to spend a weekend away. So I think we're each going to identify two spots and tell you about how long it takes to get there from Whatcom County and why we like it there. And what are some of the kid friendly activities that you can do there? So, Chris, you want to take take the first crack at this? Yes. Weekend trip number one is to the San Juans. We love to go to Lopez Island, uh, go down to the village, go to Holly B's Bakery for some yummy morning uh, baked goods and coffee. Uh, they have a great resort there, the Islander Resort, for uh, some good dinner and beverages and music in the evenings. So, we certainly love going to Lopez Island. It's not quite as busy as some of the, as San Juan and as Orcas. Um, and uh, and it's easy to access from Anacortes for sure. So my first one, actually, um, we're not leaving Whatcom County. We're staying in Whatcom County and we're going to Birch Bay. It's a great place to go. You can easily spend a weekend there. You can camp at Birch Bay State Park. There are a lot of Airbnbs that you can rent and spend a night or two right there uh, on the boulevard overlooking the water. Our favorite place to go when we're there, of course, to eat is the Sea Shop which has great candy, great ice cream, great pizzas. You can rent bikes. And the tide is uh, one of those tides that goes way, way out. And so the kids can build sandcastles. The dogs can run and chase the seagulls. And it just is a super close, super easy, um, fun getaway. And when you're there, you feel like you're a million miles away. 
One of our favorites is to go up to Whistler. It's a little difficult to do during a pandemic, but if you have a Nexus card or you go at the right time and don't have a long wait at the border, you can be in Whistler in two and a half hours. And if you like to do something outside and you can't find a way to do it in Whistler, you're not trying hard enough, whether it's (laughs) bungee jumping, skiing, hiking, swimming, boating, it's all available there. Uh, Our favorite spot to stay is at Creekside, which is the southernmost part of Whistler, and a good spot to grab a beer on the patio or some warm food when you're skiing is uh, Dusty's Restaurant there in Whistler. Uh, Our second favorite one is... uh that I would recommend is Winthrop. We love the drive over highway two. It's beautiful. The mountains, that pass I think is the most beautiful pass uh, anywhere in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, once you're in Winthrop, there's all sorts of great uh, parks. There's a good ice cream there. Uh, one of our favorite breweries, the old school house brewery, they're right on the river. They've got great food and of course, delicious beer. Um, and then there's some really great resorts as well. And uh, golf course, there's, there's plenty in Winthrop. So um, we highly recommend Winthrop. And Chris, along those lines, my second one was Leavenworth. And I was going to say, you know, yeah. driving over highway two and, uh, Tons to do, lots of restaurants, lots of shopping. There's golf, there's a river. I mean, they got it all. And it's you know, two and a half hours to get there. It's a beautiful drive both ways. And uh, kind of like Whistler, if you, if you can't find something to do in that neck of the woods, but be it Winthrop or Leavenworth, you know, you're not trying hard enough. All right. My second one is going to be a bit of a long jaunt. And if we were playing the overrated, underrated game again, I would say this place is very underrated, but you're going to need a long weekend because it's about six and a half hours one way. But I'm going to choose Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. We have gone there a few times in the last several years on our way somewhere else. Um, and the thing about Coeur d'Alene is it has sort of that resort sort of feel to it but still just the natural beauty of the huge lake, the hills, the mountains. And a real gem there is the old carousel that's at the park there by the lake in downtown. So check out Coeur d'Alene, Idaho for an underrated spot. Quick reminder to everyone, we are taking next week off to celebrate Valentine's Day with our families. So we will see you in two weeks. We're such good dads, good husbands. Thanks again to our dads for joining us today. Thank you also to our sponsors, Robinson and Cole Attorneys and Whatcom Talk. There are links to their websites in our show notes. And check out Whatcom Talk for their feature they wrote about our podcast. Please remember to rate and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Also, we're looking for future topics and guests, as well as mailbag questions. So email us, as always, at Whatcom Dads Podcast at gmail.com and in two weeks we will interview erica littlewood of the whatcom county child passenger safety team about all things related to children's car seats we will discuss sharing our hobbies with our kids and what to do when they might have differing interests and on whatcom dad recommend we'll talk about movies our kids like Why does Snoopy sleep on top of his doghouse instead of inside it? 
Why do you drive on a parkway but park in a driveway? Why is a boxing ring called a ring when it's square and has corners? <laughs> <laughs>